Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What up, what up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ask Paul, where you can submit your questions to me, Paul Abernathy, and I will do my best to answer those electrical-related questions, whether it's about the National Electrical Code, electrical theory, whatever floats your boat. Feel free to go over to paulabernathy.com. That's P-A-U-L-A-B-E-R-N-A-T-H-Y. Dot com and submit your question. I answer them via email or if selected here on the podcast. Also, thank you for all the folks out there who's been listening to this podcast. Again, it's amazing. Uh, the Ask Paul podcast is just part of our network. Uh, I have three different podcasts. There's Master the NEC podcast that you can find on any of your uh, podcast devices or whatnot, Apple, Google Podcasts, all that kind of stuff. Just look for Ask uh, Master the NEC. Uh, of course, I have Electrician Live that we share things up as well. So that just go on all those platforms and look for Electrician Live. Uh, but of course, if you want the Ask Paul segment by itself, just go look for Ask Paul Electrical and you'll find it. Um, and again, thanks for listening to our podcast. I mean, it's very successful. Again, we're going to uh, even the, um, the Ask Paul alone is pulling about 30,000 downloads a month. So that is amazing. And we're up to, uh, I guess, episode, I think it's like 24 or something. I don't know which one this is. I, I, I don't know until after I publish it. I got to go look at my numbers there. But um, thank you all for listening. Hopefully you get something out of it. Uh, I wanted to create a platform where you could ask questions. And sometimes it's hard to get answers to those questions. So I want to make sure that we did that. So that's what this platform is all about. All right, so we do have a question that was submitted tonight. And again, I I'm, I kind of almost didn't answer this one because I felt like maybe it was, you know, you know, poking the bear uh, of a topic. Uh, but again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle it and I'm going to try to be as, you know, as, as neutral as I can on a- attacking this question. Um, because again, you can ask me anything. I uh, will do my best to answer it. But the question was, and I'll read it. It says, Paul, please settle the debate. Are covers required for junction boxes or not? It seems that social media is spreading rumors that cover plates are not required on junction boxes. Thanks in advance. Okay, that is the question. 
And I'm not going to be naive enough to say that I have not seen this posted on social media or on some other types of video platforms. I have. And I have commented on it. Um, so I'm going to do that today. And I'm going to answer this gentleman's question. I think it's a gentleman. Yeah. Um, I'm going to answer this question and I'm going to do it diplomatically in a sense of what I, as a code panel member, sees this and our whole effort is to always have a safe code that establishes uh, minimally safe standards for buildings, okay? Uh, what you have to do in order to, to be, meet a minimum safety standard. Now, some people don't like that term, and that's fine, whatever floats your boat. But at the end of the day, if you meet the NEC, then it's essentially, essentially free from electrical hazards. Not 100%, but essentially free. Okay, you can't fix stupid. So it's about as, as safe as you're going to get. And you can always go above and beyond code, except to the point where you may go too far and then you make it a hazard again. And you can do that with grounding and bonding and not understanding the principles of grounding and bonding. But at the end of the day, you can go over and above the bare minimums. And if that's who you are, go for it. But if you're somebody that meets the bare minimums, then do that with pride, right? Make it look good. Make it look neat. Do take a little pride in what you do and understand that even though you're somebody that meets the basic minimums of the code or the, somebody that goes over and above, it doesn't really matter as long as it's, it's, it's compliant. And that's what we're after. We're after compliance. Okay. So again, um, so let's kind of look at this topic. So the question again was about whether covers are required. So I'm going to give you some code references, and I gave these code references to an individual who actually shared it with another individual, and it was shared online in a video, and uh, and kind of they were attend listening to one of our uh, electrician live episodes when I answered the question, uh, and I believe it was over on the, the Facebook side. And of course, what happens is if you attend our exam preps or you attend attend something, um, what happens is. You, you ask questions and we try to answer those questions. And of course, this one came in right at the end. So it might have been answered, but then it was cut off. And so, um, but it was shared at a, another uh, YouTube or, or another social media thing. So obviously they, they heard what I said. So I'm going to answer it today for this individual. And uh, maybe that'll settle the debate. Of course, everybody's entitled their opinion. Um, just, uh, I'm just giving you one man's interpretation of it based on 30 plus years of interpretating, as Jay likes to say over on uh, Electrician Live, my co-host. All right, so the question is covers. So first thing I'm going to address you, if you got your code book, if not, don't worry, I'll read it to you. 314.25, which is the reference I gave the individual that shared it with other folks. Um, it says covers and canopies. It says in complete installations, each box shall have a cover faceplate, lamp holder, or luminaire canopy, except where the installation complies with 410.24B. Now that is where the luminaire might be over a junction box and you have access to the junction box through the luminaire. Okay, that's okay. That's still considered covered under that rule because 410's dealing with luminaires and things like this. So that's it's kind of its own unique, unique thing, kind of like a fluorescent strip gets mounted over top of a junction box and you can get to the junction box through the, uh, the, the directly inside of the actual luminaire. Okay. So that's kind of where that's covered up. But when we say covers that are required in complete installations, let's step back for a second 
and think about that. This is not really telling you that it's optional. Okay, now one of the arguments that were presented was that it's saying that you, uh, that it has to be provided, but it doesn't have to be utilized. So I'm not reading that in 314.25. And of course, I'm thinking about a safe installation. I mean, that's key. What I don't want is splices that are exposed for people to come in contact with, a wire nut coming off of it, uh, rodents getting to it. I, you know what? I'm not even going to go there because that's kind of common sense stuff. Um, you wouldn't do a job and leave it incomplete, right? In other words, if you're doing an installation and the code requires that you have a complete installation, okay? Um, so whether I'm running a non-metallic sheath cable, okay, NMB to a, to a junction box, I'm not going to leave it open with the conductors all hanging out of it, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a cover on it. And then my installation is 100% complete. It's complete. So when it says that in the very beginning, it says incomplete installations. The goal is all installations are to be completed, especially for the electrician leaves and gets paid. I want to make sure that installation is complete. So in complete installations, each box shall have a cover. All right. Now, the reason it says faceplate, because again, receptacle outlets, you put a receptacle device in the box, you have to have a cover plate. That's also covered up in 406 as well uh, when it comes to face plates and all that kind of. So the point is you cover these terminations. You put the covers on. You, you have to, if you have a lamp holder or a luminaire canopy, you cover up the boxes. So if you have a pendant light, for example, you're going to have a canopy that covers up the box. There's not a cover. It's, it's a canopy. And it's going to have all the wiring enclosed behind that canopy, right? So... This rule is not something that it's saying, well, I don't have to have it. No, this rule is saying that you're going to have a cover on, on each box, whether it's a junction box, device box, pull box. This is period. And it says it right in the beginning. Um, everybody has to strive for a complete installation. That means you, you put the wire nuts on it, you push it back in the box, you put the cover on it, you nail the box up, you, you support your wiring cable, uh, your, your cable, you support your raceways where necessary. That is the complete installation. You terminate them on an overcurrent device, you put the cover back on, you get paid, and you move on. That's a complete installation. Okay? So, um, and then the rest of that is, is, is kind of just telling you that the box has to be designed to accept screws and things like that. This also goes a long way of saying why you can't use something like a drywall screw to support the covers, uh, because again, it's not designed that way. It's gotta have the thread gauge in the size that's integral to the box, um, or whatever the manufacturer provides for you to do able to do this, you follow their instructions, all right? So that's the first part of this that tells us that we have to have a cover. So that is gonna cover broadly in the NEC. Of course, this is under chapter three, applies broadly throughout the NEC for all applications. But then you've got installations where you're dealing with, let's say, conductors coming into a pull box or junction box or a conduit body, which they'd be four gauge and larger insulated. So then we have pull box rules, right? Sizing and all this stuff for pull boxes. So that takes us then, next reference would be 314.28. So getting past the rules and how to size the box, okay, with a straight pull, straight as eight, angle pulls, angles with an S equals six uh, conductor, I mean, six letters. So that means it's six times rule. Um, so you get all that type of, that type of, of thing kind of helps you understand what's going on. And once you move beyond that, you'll look at 
314.28, and we're going to look at C. So this is going to catch all those larger boxes. It says all pull boxes, junction boxes, and conduit bodies shall be provided with a cover capable, uh, excuse me, compatible with the box or conduit body construction and suitable for the conditions of use. So if it's outdoors and LB, it's got to be designed so that with a gasket and everything, so that it maintains the rating of it, of the box. You with me? So these are two areas where covers are mandated. Now, some people would say, well, this says shall be provided with a cover, but provided with it doesn't mean it needs to be used. No, it's saying that the box has to be provided with a cover. That means that you're going to use the cover, okay? Because the general rules in 314.25 still apply. This is just letting you know what you do with even the pull box applications where you're dealing with, with the insulated four, uh, four gauge and larger and conduit bodies that you have to have the cover on it, okay? Um, so a lot of times when you read code, we want this thing to say what we want it to say, but the code says what it says. And if you wanted to actually tell you in layman's terms to put a cover on, I mean, and I think it does be honest with you, but again, I've been dealing with code for over 30 years, but I'm also knowing what the intent is of the code. It's a safety document. It would never be something where, where you would want exposed conductors, where you would want just wire nuts hanging out of a box. That is not the intent. And it's something I don't think any of you would ever do. So this really isn't really a debate. And so I'm not picking any sides on it. I'm just saying that it's not really a debate. Covers are required. Also, I want to make sure that all impressionable electricians out there who are learning the code, who are trying to strive to get a better understanding of it, to understand that this is a minimum safety document. Okay. And if we meet it, we're essentially free from electrohazards. Not 100% free, but essentially free from it. Again, you can't fix stupid. But leaving junction boxes open with wires hanging out of it, whether it's in an attic where you could have rodents get in it or debris get in it or somebody step on it as they're walking and pinch one of the wires, it's much better to have it in a box with a cover on it and it can't be damaged. These connections, we don't want damaged. Well, maybe the wire nuts pop off of it because maybe you pre-twisted it. And when you do that, maybe it makes the OD of the assembly of conductors you twisted actually greater than what the wire nut would allow uh, because a lot of the manufacturers for wire nuts say you don't pre-twist. You just put the number, the maximum number that the device will handle, the connection will handle, and you twist the wire nut on it and that's it. You don't pre-twist. Well, sometimes when we pre-twist things, the actual diameter gets larger because of the twisting effect. And then what happens is you still try to use a wire nut that was rated for like four conductors, but you're putting five under it because you twisted them and then you're trying to crank on that wire nut well, when the conductors expand and contract over heat due to load conditions, then it could cause that wire nut to pop off. And you folks have seen it before. Well, if it does and you follow the manufacturer and you didn't pre-twist, then you've got these conductors that might splay apart. And if it's under a load condition, it could create an arc. If you follow the manufacturer's recommendations to not pre-twist, then there you go. So then that's the argument for why we pre-twist. However, if you pre-twist it and the diameter comes excessive to what the, the wire binding device, such as wire nut, can handle, then the wire nut may still pop off because it, it won't stay on effectively. Now you got a live exposed end of a conductors. And that can be a hazard, especially if somebody crawling through an attic or doing something in a crawl space or something like that, right? So the argument to cover it up 
is always an easy, sound argument. And we can foundation that by realizing that when we get into 406, that we talk about faceplates that are required. You can't just put a receptacle in a box and leave no faceplate on it, exposing it. So that is also covered here. That's the faceplate rule. So there's so many places in the code that, that have a foundation for making a complete system, ending the process, finishing it up, putting those faceplates on, putting those covers on, putting that canopy on, like when you're ceiling fans and, and pendant lights and finishing the job. That is a complete installation. Okay. So, uh, you know, the debates that would go on is interpretations of code that basically maybe come from not having enough experience and understanding what this document is all about and not making this a complicated document. Um, but I will say this. If you're out there and you want to make the code, in your opinion, easier to understand, um, and again, I get it. Not everybody can understand this document. That's why I tell people and electricians that just because you're an electrician, you need to learn code. And I, I hate it when people make these comments and go, yeah, but I'm a real electrician. I do things out in the field. Look, it hasn't changed. Ask Jay. He calls me all the time and I give him advice on installations and different things. And he goes, why didn't I think about that? Because look, and he is an active electrician in the field. I'm like, look, I've done this for many years. I was in the field. I'd pulled my share of, of, of cable. I made my terminations. I haven't done everything, but look, everybody needs to know code, right? And it, you need to learn code. You can be good at your install, but you know, you can be great if you also understand the codes behind what you do. And you already are doing it to code. You just don't know it, right? You're not consciously thinking about it, that when I put that cable in and I'm securing it, I'm supporting it and I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm bonding, I'm grounding, I'm doing, it's all based on code. So you learn the skill, but then you have to learn the code and you're learning it as you go. But again, a lot of people will start posting on social medias and TikToks and all and saying somebody installs something and they start you know, stabbing back at them saying, well, that's not to code or that's a violation, but they don't give a code reference. That's the wrong way to be because what you're saying might be your opinion, but it's not necessarily code, but for other people to be able to relate, then you need to give a code reference to support you. So that's why, you know, example in my fast tracks program, when somebody does a competency review, I will not grade that review unless they give me a code reference to support their answer. Everybody should support their answer with a code reference rather than say something's wrong or something this, that, that. If you're going to opine about it, then you need to give code references. Now, you also need to understand the intent of the code rather than trying to pick it apart and saying, well, it doesn't say what, it, what you want it to say. Well, if that's the case and you want it to say something differently, then you know what? We have a process for that. So NFPA has a submittal process that you can submit uh, public inputs. And we do it every three years. So the next one will be public inputs for the 2026 code because the 2023 is already well in, involved right now. Um, you will be able to submit your public input just like anybody else. We don't change the code at the code table. We review what folks like yourself submit. Of course, we submit it as well. Just because we're code panel members doesn't mean that we're not active people that want to submit code stuff. So we do it. But we don't sit at the table and rewrite code and just come up with things. No. It has to be a reason that we need to change it and we need to verify it and validate it. And that's what we do. That's what the volunteers of code panels do. 
We're not sitting there writing the code. So anybody out there that says, well, those code people, they should have did this. No, if you want something to be a certain way and you can support it and you can actually provide the documentation to convince the panel, you're the one that sends it in to get it changed. And we'll just look at it and say, wow, this, this dude or this woman, they're brilliant. Why didn't we think of that? That is absolutely right. And we'll change the code. Okay. NFPA doesn't write the code. Code panel members don't write the code. We massage it in order to make sense based on our technical background that we serve on this committee. We have all people have technical backgrounds that are are very high level technical backgrounds for certain topic areas. But at the end of the day, it's all based on what you folks out there submit. Okay. And we will adjust the code accordingly if it's supportable. If it's just BS because you don't like something in it, then we're just, we're not going to listen. We're just throw it away. You got to be able to substantiate what you want changed. If you don't think that it says it clear enough that all boxes require covers, and I would argue and say it's pretty clear to me, and I've been doing this for 30 plus years, then we eagerly await, as Mark Early used to say, we eagerly await your public input, and you're more than happy to submit it. I will give a shout out, though, to the NFPA folks. They are some wonderful po- uh, folks out there. Jeff Sargent, Mark Early is not with them anymore. Jeff took over uh, and is putting it in good shoes. Uh, Mark Early did a wonderful job for years. Um, Sarah Caldwell, who's been involved in our co-panel stuff, amazing people, really amazing people doing great work, compiling all the work that we do on co-panels so that we can get this code out to you folks so that you can create safe installations. That's what it's all about, right? So anyway, hopefully I answered that question long and short. Yes. Covers are required. There is no option in here. Okay. No option for that, all right, to not have covers, all right? Till next time, folks, hopefully you got something out of that. Settled the great debate. If not, if you disagree, that's fine. That's your choice. Um, but uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, my interpretation of that is spot on. So however you feel about it, that's up to you. Till next time, folks, stay safe. God bless, and we'll see you on the next episode of Ask Paul. And be sure to send me your questions. Till next time, take care.